So, Paul. Yes. If you had the opportunity to scream in a nurse's face, would you take it and why? <laughs> if I did once, um, <laughs> the the hospital, one of the hospitals near me, I think it might be, um, I think it might be both of them actually. They have nurses with University of Greenwich badges. Um, oh, because gosh. I think there's a nursing college at the University of Greenwich, so I see the badges, and I often just want to say, "Ha!" <laughs> Go to the same university as me. As qualified as this, and I point at myself. You clown! <laughs> you absolute nonsense! You're... And that's how you get sedated. <laughs> this was a maths university, you fools! <laughs> what are you going to do? Tell me the history of my bowels? <laughs> Could you please? Nobody has. <laughs> please, it hurts. It hurts. It really hurts. I need your help, please, Greenwich fucker. <laughs> We're both proud alumni of the University of Greenwich. Go Greenwich. Go G Dogs. Go Cutty Sark. Best tea clipper we ever had. that wouldn't kill the carpet they swam in their bath, but if not him, who? And if not now, when? I'm Paul Goodman. I am not in the file! I'm not! Because this week it's the turn of Paul's sumptuous salt to defend an off-maligned movie that he loves, like blank should have written something there. This time, it's <laughs> The Exorcist. Three, starring Brad, Durif, <laughs> and George C. Scott of Patton and Dr. Strangelove fame. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah, everyone. Satan grows stronger. You believe in possession, Father? He has found a haven. Come to take a little blood from you, Father. He has taken possession. The boy had been crucified. His web widens. I've just never seen anything like this in 20 years. Inside this cell. The killer drove an ingot into each of his eyes and cut off his head. Inside a man. Who are you? I am no one. A man we thought had died 17 years ago. The real terror is back. George C. Scott in William Peter Blatty's The Exorcist 3. Uh, writer of the original Exorcist novels, P- William Peter Blatty came up with The Exorcist 3 with the director of the original, William Freakin, mm. with Freakin down to, di- to direct. When he dropped out, Blatty declared he can make his own movie about a Star Wars in space <laughs> by adapting it into the novel Legion, and then eventually into a movie. Blackjack and hookers. With, with Blackjack and hookers, this movie. <laughs> space Exorcist. <laughs> the Rotten Tomatoes consensus calls it a talky literary sequel with some scary moments that rival anything from the original. Talky. We'd like that then. <laughs> oh yeah, bloody film critics will love that. Bloody words. Not proper film goers. They don't want talky bollocks. <laughs> Get enough of that from wife. <laughs> Who is also an actor, so you, you can <laughs> see my trouble. Who's also Brad Dourif. <laughs> it's a crazy hell to scale to world where nothing makes sense and everyone is Brad Dourif. <laughs> Sent for me, Brad Dourif. I'm going to live there. Uh, critics themselves, not yet part of the aggregator hive mind, reacted to it like Brad Dourif's daughter screaming in his face about donuts, Rob Zombie Halloween reference. That is to say, mixed. Uh, Robert C. Cumbo of Slant Magazine stands up straight for the first time in his life and declares... <laughs> and he immediately got fired. <laughs> we're not having any of that here guards take him away and the guards come in crouching <laughs> you'll never take me alive <laughs> uh, right angles he says Blatty is interested in the words most of all the dialectic of intellectual debate the ritual litany of naming the recitation of prayers to name something is to tame it 
Blatty is interested in our eternal struggle with the unnameable. And there's a semicolon in the middle of that sentence, and it doesn't track. Those two things don't <laughs> seem linked to me. I was wondering why you led this otherwise very glowing review. It's because you found the one that had the grammatical thing that really pissed you off. Not having it. <laughs> Calling this fucker out. Fucking slant magazine. There's a, there's a, there's a middle ground between uh, being sick of experts and, <laughs> and, then, and then being a cop. This is the kind of shit that's why. This, this essentially caused Brexit, this article. And I, and I for one, am all, all fully behind the eternally stooped combo. <laughs> TV Guide staff member. Love him. Writing on Rotten Tomatoes. Or says, reporting through his binary converter. Uh, staff member number 77787 <laughs> concludes, it may not have the visceral impact of the first film, but it gives viewers far more than they had any reason to expect. Any reason, reason to expect is a heady discussion path for an automated response matron, but... You'll like what you get. Throwing his hat into the ring. Would you nothing to? Would you, would you expect from the third in a trilogy? Yeah, that's always the rubbish one. Actually, was a rule for. Uh, yeah, it's not always true though. Look at no, it's not always true. Look at Homeward Bound. Films. I imagine. Probably. Probably. Well, you got okay. You got Return of the King. Yeah. You got John Wick Three. I'd argue. As in, not the worst. Yeah. 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 There we go. There you go. We've just we just dredged up two examples of that. But the only way to really prove it is if the third example, the completion of this example trilogy, is also not the worst one. So Trois-couleur. Rouge. Rouge? I thought Rouge was first. But I might be wrong. I think did it... Oh good, because Rouge is my least favourite. <laughs> well, so there we go. There you go. Proves the rule. I bet it was. Blanc and bleu were better. Um, but if you add, <laughs> even if they're first and second, if you add one and two, that makes three. Therefore, Rouge was third. We're failures. We're failures. Uh, well, I think I watched these in reverse. No wonder it made no bloody sense. Bloody, it was in French, wasn't it? <laughs> nonsense. Polish filmmaker directing in Fran- French. Pretentious nonsense. What do you think he is? What do you think he is coming over here and directing his movie in your third language? <laughs> coming over there, directing their film. <laughs> Badly, but well, but brilliant. I love it. <laughs> Uh, Universal comedy, mate. Tim Brayton, uh, Agony and Ecstasy, pithily fucks out the following judgment, saying the film suggests that Blatty had seen and loved many films without ever really paying attention to how they worked. <laughs> Take that, talker. <laughs> they mention a wonderful life in this. Therefore, that's exactly what I expected. That's how movies work. Referencing other ones. Clearly, they didn't understand it's a wonderful life. Which, to be <laughs> fair, there's very little evidence within this film to suggest that they did understand it's a wonderful life. It's a Wonderful Life barely understands it's a wonderful life. Jimmy <laughs> Jimmy Stewart doesn't understand a single word he says. He's like um, Javier Bardem playing Anton Chigurh. He doesn't speak a word of English. <laughs> Everyone was just improvising the entire time. Makes sense, though. It does. When you think about it. Couldn't not. Public, on the other hand, reacted like they'd been issued a clear invitation to the dance. Oh, yeah. to say, mixed. <laughs> Dream Factory hyphen five three four hyphen eight one four three oh nine writes Dull and Weak. The original is a masterpiece. The second is one of the worst major Hollywood film of all time. So where does the third one fit? Kinda of right in the middle, leaning more towards the bad. <laughs> First, the film is dull. Very dull. Oh. You're with the time every ten minutes or so, wondering how come nothing has happened yet. Just stick with the original. He didn't write any more reasons, I think he satisfied with the first one. <laughs> Do you know what? I'm not even going to go back to the beginning. Never edit. Shakespeare didn't edit. You shouldn't either. No. Live in the moment. That was it. Uh, just yeah, one reason. Didn't need a two because the A was so great. Fuck yeah. Steve F. Uh, writing comically underrated and overlooked. This movie is possibly the most overlooked and underrated movie in the entire history of Western cinema. Holy shit. Sure. Not Eastern. Yeah. Not, not Eastern, though. No. The whole um, cinema is over in- underrated over there. 
Nobody's been to one yet. <laughs> All too busy living spiritually fulfilled lives. And oppressing Tibet. Oh, it went the other way. Oh, shit. Fuck yeah. Plus, Jackie Chan does genuinely go around snatching people in the nuts until they die, so there's no need to actually go and see it on screen because <laughs> it kind of ruins the perspective. Get enough of that on holidays, mate. <laughs> on the commute to work. Speaking of, he's, uh, look over his shoulder and Jackie Chan's right sneaking up behind you. Oh, shit. Ah, almost got you there, Jackie. <laughs> Get out of here, you. Oh. <laughs> My son's a disgrace. <laughs> um... So, uh, yeah, he, he goes on to say, yeah, it's it's bloody great. Uh, Father Morning is underused, he says, mm. um, even his de- and his death is hilarious unintentionally. So it's underrated, he says, a golden raspberry for a worst actor? Comical. George C. Scott's performance here might not be as memorable as that in Patton, but it's still an excellent performance. Yeah, and Brad Dourif sharing duties with Jason Miller as the sinister patient X is a much more effective demon here than in the Child's Play series. Apples and oranges, mate. Bloody blah, blah. Sadly, it's probably due to the risible Exorcist 2 that this film was so overlooked and instantly assumed to be awful. But then again, whether people like movies or not is down to taste, I suppose. Yeah. Um, 10 out of 10 that one on Rotten Tomatoes it got 59% Metacritic 48 and on IMDB it was given 6.4 but it did fairly well at the box office I think I I, I read it I didn't write it down (laughs) you're just going to have to take my word for it I will incidentally I'm the creator of the IMDB forums (laughs) so Paul you boo from the gallery why did you pretend you came here to fix the radio? Well, I think it kind of speaks for itself. There should be a relatively straightforward job at our end, mate. A couple of plasterers like us come right in. We should be able to sort it out in 20 minutes or so and bill them for three hours. So it works. <laughs> That's what we do. It's just a fucking excellent horror film. And I, I don't remember when I first saw it. I remember I was reluctant mm. to see the first Exorcist because everyone said it was scarier than The Shining. And the fastest way to get me to not Oof. watch something is to compare it to something I adore. Why it took me ages yeah, to right. watch The Wire. But um, Bourne makes The Shining. Someone said it was better than The Bill, and I was like, "No fucking way, sir! <laughs> you can't, you can't beat." That's X Men. That is X Men. Nevertheless, it stands. But it's similar. Point stands. Yeah. Um, I eventually saw The Exorcist, the first one, when I was thirteen, and I really loved it. I yep. think it's the second scariest film ever made behind The Bill. But <laughs> Exorcist Three, I think I the t- making of The Bill. <laughs> I think I taped it off the TV, and I was familiar enough. With low-grade horror sequels, you know, I think by then I'd seen, mm. like, The Omen 4 and Psycho 2, you know, movies you didn't know had sequels. So I don't think I expected yeah. much. And I think I taped it off the TV because I remember I can imagine a VHS mm. label with Exorcist 3 scroll- scrolled on it. You kind of expect Return of Jafar at that stage. <laughs> That's what you can expect. So that places it in my early teens. But I, okay. I just remember watching it and thinking it was amazing. And it's always been like on my radar as like a fantastic horror film. And I was very surprised to sort of get older and find out that it's not only underseen, which I was aware of, but it's also underappreciated, which I wasn't aware of. So, yeah, mm. it's completely unique. And that's why I wanted us to turn our poorly attentions to it. Uh, I should say, haven't seen the second one, uh, which is apparently unique for other reasons. So I've heard. Uh, but before we get into it, what what about you? What's your history with The Exorcist? Um, I watched The Exorcist on Thursday. <laughs> and wow! No, I, I, I all the way back. <laughs> Halcyon days can barely remember it. Were you there? Yeah. I I saw The Exorcist when I was twelve. Uh huh. And I didn't like it. It's very scary. Oh. I blocked most of it out, and then we watched Blade. So, um, Blade will save us. It, yeah, it did. It did for a long time. Some motherfuckers always trying to upskate uphill. Paul. Check out the MCU um, adaptation of The Exorcist. It's going to be a big, big new world, guys. It's going to be very insincere. 
So yeah, and I blocked it out for the most part. And I didn't watch it again. Learning um, several minutes ago that you were planning on defending The Exorcist 3. You said it might be worth me watching The Exorcist yep. again. And I did. And it's very, very good. Hooray. I wrote down all the ways that, uh, in which I loved it. Yeah. And, uh, th- and then last night I watched The Exorcist 3. So <laughs> that all sounds unique, Paul. What happens in The Exorcist 3, Legion? Right, well, we're going to start off with Father Dyer taking a tour of uh, locations from the hit movie The Exorcist, including that big staircase where some bint kicked a priest out the window or something. I haven't seen it. (laughs) Some bint, some devilly bint. (laughs) Devilly bint, devilly bit of crumpet. She kicks a priest out a window and he died. Um, Meanwhile, George C. Scott is admiring his favourite Photoshop of that priest. (laughs) Apparently when they were both younger men. He stops working at at his desk (laughs) and just picks up a picture like he he likes to do at the end of a long shift. (laughs) To be fair, it is approaching the anniversary of said death. Uh, Nevertheless, it's been 15 years since that happened. Um, But there's scarier doings afoot. Oh, no. No. He's playing Kinderman from the first movie, right? Oh, yes. He's playing Kinderman, who was played by Lee Cobb, I think is the guy's name, who is best known as the angriest juror from uh, 12 Angry Men, which I could have sworn was George C. Scott back in the day. So I'm glad that somebody out there felt that there was enough of a resemblance that he could get one to play the other and no one would notice. Yeah. <laughs> it worked out well. Wasn't Georgie Scott in a tour of Angry Men as well at some point? Oh, maybe. <laughs> we need someone to play Lee Cobb. <laughs> the Yankee Jura? No, no. <laughs> Lee Cobb's in this one. <laughs> He's the 13th guy. He's just around. And he was like, oh, I didn't play it that way. <laughs> I'm Lee Cobb. <laughs> I bet his name wasn't even fucking Lee Cobb at this stage. Should have been there. Should have been. It suited him. So, George C. Scott, he gets called to the murder of a young boy, young black boy, who's been killed by the docks, and he begins mm. his, um, ineffectively lifting a body covering for the first of two inexplicable times. <laughs> it's always stood out to me, is that he doesn't lift the sheet up enough. He does it again later. Oh. <laughs> I don't know why, but that really now, bothered me. He does it three times in the movie, and isn't it to check the, the digit yes. is missing? Yes. So, that's fair enough. That's all he cares about. That's all he cares about. That's all he cares about, about Paul. <laughs> This 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 kid's been decapitated, Sarge. Yeah, but let me see those pinkies. As I suspected, <laughs> fingers missing. Yeah, he's so... got no reason at this stage to suspect that it's the Gemini killer. But yeah, he checks the hands first always because he's a superstitious man. You gotta be when you're George C. Scott. It's the only way to make sense of the world. <laughs> it's the only way. Back at the police station, Grand L. Bush is here as detective. Ooh. Sometimes around, it's <laughs> Grand L. Bush. Well, let me tell you, he was Balrog and Street Fighter. No way. Yes, and he was FBI agent Johnson in Die Hard, the Black Johnson. Oh. I was in junior high, dickhead. <laughs> no way. This is why you've recommended this movie. <laughs> and there's a third one uh, that I can't remember now. But the point is, Grand L. Bush has been around in some of your favorite films. Yeah, Street Fighter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Street Fighter, your favorite film. What of it? Yeah. So he's about. George, uh, George C. Scott has a bit of a yell at everyone. <laughs> About how <laughs> he does how nothing is thing. in the right file. It just isn't. Nothing's in the right file. Nicholas Cage is in the next uh, office saying, "Tell me about it." And <laughs> my next note is about halfway into the movie. So let's see if we can. Um, yeah, great. Well, <laughs> fucking figure there's, 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 there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. Uh, Kinderman goes with Dyer. He's played by Ed Flanders. Ed Super Flanders. Well. Yeah, I noticed that. Which is amazing. <laughs> um, they're going to see a wonderful life. Yep. Um, they, I think they, they commiserate a bit about Father Karras from the from the original. Yep, they both loved him. Both loved that guy. Yeah, they both loved him. Yeah. And we loved him. I loved him. Yeah. 
I've 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 known him for three days, Paul, and I adored him. Everything, <laughs> yeah. everything um, he represented was wonderful. Yeah, loved his conflict. Um, so they um, and there's another murder, a priest, a priest they is killed is felled. the priest. Remember the book on screenwriting that says don't kill the dog or the priest, and they disregarded that. <laughs> they kicked the yeah. dog on his way out too. It was horrible. He did the devil's the dog? He got a dead priest with his head cut off and his hand all fucked up. And it's really worrying at this stage, um, George C. Scott. But what's mm. more worrying is that um, Father Dyer's in hospital for something. For unknown things. For unknown thing. And they take him to the hospital that doubles as an uh, asylum for the criminally insane. For unknown reasons. <laughs> and yeah. And it was built on an Indian burial ground. It was an absolute <laughs> nightmare of planning. God damn it. <laughs> Bloody budget cuts. Yeah, he gets interred there. He goes home and he has a bit of a spooky dream. He dreams of Fabio and Samuel L. Jackson, as we all, as we all have. <laughs> I did wonder if that was Fabio. Yeah, that was Fabio. And Samuel Jackson's also there. He's the one who says something like, the living are deaf, or something like that. The living are deaf. Is that Samuel L. Jackson? Yeah, man. And uh, whoever's playing the the angel of death is apparently a famous basketball man. It could have been Paul Uh, Goodman. Okay. (laughs) I love those. I love basketball and men. (laughs) Um. But he sees Father Dyer's there, seemingly with his head cut off. And that's a bit of a worry. Mm. And he wakes up to a phone call saying, you'll never guess what. Father Dyer's. Oh, what? Father Dyer? <laughs> well, his situation yeah. could be described as a little bit father. <laughs> I fucked it. I fucked the punchline. Sorry. Look, Sarge, your friend's dead. You best come down. <laughs> I wish you'd I wish you gotten that punchline right. Really would have lightened my mood. <laughs> well, you didn't hire me for my punchline, Sarge. You hired me for results. You hired me because true. I'm Balrog from Street Fighter. It's like, that, that is true. <laughs> it's also true. This is true. Both of those things are true. Really true. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, he goes to investigate the murder yeah. um, of his friend who has been drained of his blood. And a little bit of blood has been put on the wall saying the Philadelphia story. And it's like, oh, that's not, that's a different Jimmy Stewart film. I guess the killer wasn't to know. It's pretty impressive that he knew we went to a Jimmy Stewart movie <laughs> or even just the movies together. He just had that look. So that's, yeah. Uh, probably I guess... someone will have seen it at some point. It might be significant. Oh, well. Anyway, <laughs> what, are the, what are all these jars here immaculately placed next to him? Oh, these? Well, these are just the... the the jar, multiple jars of blood that he, the killer, put uh, from taken from Father Dyer's body and didn't spill a drop. Hmm. That's that's mildly interesting, says George C. Scott. <laughs> yeah, I guess so, says the other two people in the room. <laughs> hmm. He did also write this massive fuck off sign in his blood. Yeah. So we think some of this blood yeah. might be the killer's. Why would he have done that? I don't know. Just... <laughs> that's that's insane. <laughs> What's wrong with all of you? You're all fired. I'm going to do this myself, says George C. Scott. Let me go scream at some more nurses. So he does that. <laughs> Next scene. <laughs> <laughs> He's going around. Meanwhile, we get a weird establishing shot of Nicole of Nicole Williamson. Yes. Yeah. Of um. That was weird. Almost shoehorned in. Yeah. Almost as if it was in pickups. And you might yeah. recognise him as the guy with an awesome voice from Spawn. Your anger's your weakness, and they'll use it to rob you of any humanity you have left. Ah. Cagliostro. Yes, Cagliostro. And um, he was also in a 1984 um, adaptation of Macbeth, playing Macbeth. And you can find out all about that on the Scottish Film uh, Podcast. Life's but a walking shadow. A poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. How did you find him? Um, yeah. What have I told you about (laughs) plugging your your other artistic endeavours on this podcast? This is... All about me, <laughs> vaguely about you. All you have to do is just type the Scottish Film Podcast into Google, and we're below the um, comment on Reddit of someone asking if there are any decent film um, podcasts out there about Scottish films, and we're beneath that as <laughs> if an answer to say no. Yeah, because the answer is definitely no. 
Um, you should only listen to us. It literally says, are there any decent Scottish film podcasts? And right below is our logo, not a, Sco- not a, film, a podcast about Scottish films. <laughs> <laughs> that worked out very well. Fuck you, guy. So I just want to thank Reddit for that. He's got a short hair and a beard this time, which is... Uh, sorry, short hair, no beard, which is unusual for Williamson. And it does reveal the fact that his head is a perfect ovoid. <laughs> Father ovoid. Like an egg of Satan? <laughs> Hopefully not, he says, crossing his fingers, because I'm a, I'm a holy man. He's a holy man, um, and he might and be important later. So you best remember him. Who, who knows? We'll just have to guess. Georgie Scott is doing his rounds of the mental patients, just asking them various questions and <laughs> doing all of this unauthorised. He's a cop. He does what he fucking wants. The old women experiencing dementia. He's asking them some very tough questions. Yeah. When suddenly, <laughs> uh, Mr. Head Doctor Man calls him into his office, and it's like, hey, got a creepy dude you might want to look at. He goes to do that, and... It, they're keeping him in the creepy gothic wing of this hospital with the dramatic lighting. In the gothica wing. <laughs> and what does he find but bloody Chucky himself? It's Brad Dourif. Um, only it's not. Yes, yeah. it's Jason Miller, isn't it? It's um, yes. actual actor from the first Father- one. Sobered up just long enough to be on set for a few days. <laughs> <laughs> He's looking like Gabriel Byrne. <laughs> it's very good. Um, we'll enjoy it. It's all it. going very well for him. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's Brad Dourif speaking with um in a, in a few layered voices yeah about various things that I drifted in and out of his seventy eight minute monologue. <laughs> it's the smiles that keep us going, don't you think? The little giggles and bits of good cheer. But then, after that, it was all blue Mondays for a while. I'm afraid. <laughs> well, he's talking about the murdering a whole bunch of people, which is very. Unpleasant yes. and upsetting, and nobody likes that. No one. Yeah, a nurse gets killed in a memorable way. Um, yeah. <laughs> that'll that'll stick with you. By a weeping angel. By a weeping angel. Uh, anyone else die? Oh, the uh, the, dude, uh, the hospital head dude, he kills himself Halloween 2 style by stabbing a uh, syringe yeah. into his own eye. Th- yeah, there, there is that. And then um, a nurse heads down to Georgie Scott's house. Yeah, down to his house. And uh, tries to nip off the daughter's neck with some garden shears. <laughs> Doesn't because the mum, the, the the gran, who's been the butt of a couple of jokes throughout, um, is is she anti-Jewish as well? She's. St- I think she, she might be Jewish. There's a there's a we'll, we'll talk about this. There's oh, a thing okay. that the whole George C. Scott family might be Jewish, but nevertheless, um, that's it. She, yeah, she gets um she gets saved by a reverse camera trick, um, <laughs> which saves her life, which we can all be very happy about, and which is great. There's nothing left now but for Father Fucking Ovoid to arrive and save the day. Yeah. He comes and dies... A- with an exorcist. Yeah, with an exorcism. Exorcism. That's what we're here for. We all read the title and the poster, and that was it. Yeah. He dies a gross death. Yeah, it's gross death. He dies a gross death. He di- he dies a hellraiser death. Yeah. <laughs> or does he? Uh-oh. Because George C. Scott then comes in and goes, well, that's it. I'm, ble- I'm going to bloody shoot the demon who can possess anyone. Yeah. Um. And, and he doesn't, because he, th- he throws him against he does. the wall in the theatrical cut. Absolutely. And it's time for the special effects-filled climax that every horror movie deserves. <laughs> There's some lightning oh boy. and creepy effects uh, But then, bloody Father Ovoid He manages to stay alive long enough To yell the guy's name really loud And that does the trick Holy man <laughs> Holy Jeff Ho- I forget your name <laughs> Holy man, priest man It's Father Karras <gasps> Oh, Father Karras And he snaps out of it um, Just long enough to start yelling at George C. Scott Kill me, kill me now And he's already in the process of killing him as he says this <laughs> Bill, now! Shoot now! Kill me now! And, and, he, and he does. He's dead. Yeah. And Jackie Chan beats the bad guy. <laughs> and the movie ends. <laughs> the movie abruptly ends. So, yeah, that was The Exorcist 3. Mm. Legion sometimes. Yes, it was, Paul. So, um, on, on revisit, 
I mean, when was the last time you saw this? Um, it was a few years ago because Arrow Video, which I think is associated with the American Scream Factory, they released the special edition Blu-ray, which contained uh, the director's cut of the film, also just titled mm. Legion, which we'll talk about in a moment. But um, yeah, mm. I revisited it then in glorious high-def Blu-ray with the family. Mm. Um, yeah, but I, Lovely. before that, I'd seen it a few times. I remember showing it to some friends at university. Um, and I remember I kept fucking up the jump scare because I kept saying, oh, this movie, you've got to watch it. It's got one of the best jump scares in cinematic history in it. And then the first time I showed it to a bunch of people, I was like, oh, my God, here's the scene. And I ended up being really disappointed. So the second time I was like, okay, don't point out the actual scene, but I still yeah. said it's got one of the best jump scares ever. And so as soon as that yeah, scene right. started, it, the person just turned to me and said, it's this scene, isn't it? I was like, yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Because they were waiting. Yeah, because you ruined it. <laughs> yeah, I ruined now, it. So that's why I didn't now, tell you that it was in there when I suggested we watch this. And I didn't pick up on it. So <laughs> uh, which one was it? Oh, it's the nurse. It's when she. Oh. It's when she's yeah walks away from the door and the door just fucking flies open and the fucking sheeted person appears. Scared the living shit out of me the first time I saw it. Made me laugh. Oh, you're awful. I hate you. Sorry. There's no good way to show lot... this movie to someone. <laughs> Weird. It's um yeah it's it's a fully subjective experience, yes, uh... particularly this one. And re- on revisit, Paul. Yeah. What are your thoughts? How are you feeling about this? I still really love it. I think it's yeah. got great atmosphere. There's something unnerving mm-hmm. about the whole thing. It's kind of dreamlike, but with an underlying sense of menace. The, the The actual dream sequence is a good demonstration of that because it's got this w- weird visuals, kind of comic, but there's some sort of underlying sound or noise that's making you feel uncomfortable. <laughs> kind of the movie you know there's Mm. something weird going on throughout the whole thing even when not much seems to be happening i love the pacing it has really good editing which includes hanging questions where a character will ask a question and will cut away before they get an answer a replacement where's the old one and then cutting really hard on lines the tape was really english in reverse but the expert who figured that out was kendry's mother Also, some really odd cuts to in-media res. Like, there's a moment after the guy is, like, the guy in Cell, whatever, claims to be the Gemini killer. We cut to George C. Scott reacting to him. Not even walking into the scene and seeing him, reacting to him. As if that was that had already happened. Mm. And that's spooky. So, yeah, that, that sort of thing. I love that. I think it's got a really good sense of humor to it. And some really good scares i saw yeah, sam okay. behind it what did you um, make of it you chump oh uh i had a few issues with it to be honest okay um to, to to begin with i was thinking do you know what i i like this authorial dialogue i, I enjoyed mm. how snappy it was yeah. and fixed shots of people just dis- discussing things and, yeah. and it, it kind of helped with building a sense of the place mm. and the, the tension after about 10 minutes of that, I, I, I just wanted the camera to move a little bit. I wanted people to stop monologuing. <laughs> I wanted people to, to stop making me feel like I'm, I'm watching a, a play or reading a book. I, I found, like, unfortunately, the, the dialogue itself single-handedly shut me off from the emotional aspects of the movie. Okay. I found it really hard to connect. And um, huh. yeah, and 
whilst you know i've got some some good things some really great moments mm. and performances overall i found the camera work kind of limp and well i mean it has just, to be just bear in mind that this is a film directed by an author first and foremost i think this might yes. have been his um if not his directorial debut at the very least something very early on in his career and mm. this is what happens when you know there are great people out there who are screenwriters and who are directors i think the best ones yes. are directors first who also happen to write their their films i think nolan works that way yes. i think a number of you know the better sort of directors do this is the best film that a screenwriter could direct because Blatty is mm. first and foremost a screenwriter, and what he has done here is rendered a film that is very much from a screenwriting perspective. So camera work, yes. very subdued, very locked down, not much variety or sort of in in intuitive mm. ways. But that that does work out in some respects. There are some sequences that I think are better for that, that are creepier, or I don't know, like when mm. they're inspecting Father Dyer's body with the blood. And all we're doing, the camera is just up in a corner in the top of the room, staring down at them. And I don't know, it just, it it renders the scene a real grounding, I found, in that setting. And I found that to be somewhat yeah, right. interesting. But um, no... I found that the complete opposite. Oh, right. It, like, I found that so underwhelming huh. and lifeless. Huh. I was just, just, just marveling at it, uh, trying to figure out like, why, why this was happening. Well, I guess it's subjective, but I mean, certainly yeah. the priority for Blatty was to get all of his dialogue and his writing on screen, which is why you have these long monologues that, you know, Oh, definitely. You know, there's definitely long stretches of dialogue in um, The Exorcist, but, you know, there's other stuff going on as well, because William Friedkin is a much more visual director. You know, he's not just going to focus on dialogue. And he actually, interestingly, Friedkin has directed a number of plays, um, uh, film adaptations of plays, Killer Joe and Bug, uh, and Boys from the Mm. Band, my favorite one, Mm. back in the 70s. So, yeah, he has experience of actually taking something that is very dialogue based and making it cinematic in ways that are very extraordinary. So yeah, and yeah. you know, I, th- I think you can definitely make dialogue heavy movies work. Mm. Evidently, just just look at look at Tarantino, mm. um, look at anyone else that I could probably have pulled, but <laughs> it's just not working on a Saturday morning. You can look at the way Hitchcock blocks a dialogue scene. You can see the yeah. way in which he moves people around. He moves his camera, and mm. you know actually makes it dynamic Coens or another one yeah the Coens as well even even if they're just doing shot reverse shot there's something going on that makes yeah. it dramatic and there's there's something more at play with the dialogue as well with the Coens they're always bookending and tying back to they keep looping and, and referencing and recalling things earlier in the dialogue and mm. it's it's very it's very poetic and balanced for that whereas mm. this was this person has a thing to say yeah potentially and, and he's by God, he's going to say it, and and I did sometimes sometimes found that really effective, and sometimes George C. Scott really pulled it off. But yeah. Sometimes I just found myself repeating, "You can write this, but you sure as shit can't say it." Yeah, I, I think it, it's benefited by having a few strong performers, in in particular George C. Scott and Brad Dura, who I think are really really good mm. in this. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it's definitely uh, oh, and also the guy playing Father Dyer, I, I really Ed Flanders, Ed Flanders, I thought yeah. did a really natural job of delivering the dialogue in this. But no, it, it's an uneven film, and it is a film that is perhaps um, not as cinematic, but it is nevertheless really unique. I struggle to think of a film similar to this, and the way that it constructs scenes, the way that it approaches scares and frights, it's it's just mm. it's got a really great sort of visual. The moments where it really excels are like the moment where um, George C. Scott 
is in a meeting with a priest and suddenly something gets his attention and he walks out of the meeting and there's just weird shit going on out there and a long mm. hallway and a statue that had previously been established to us as a statue of a holy man is suddenly now a creepy joker thing with a knife and there's no attention yeah. drawn to it it's just in the foreground you know with him in the back and it's just for a second and it just it's stuff like that that i've always really loved in horror you know if you look at antichrist mm. there's similar stuff going on like little creepy hidden details it's yeah it's the kind That's, of thing i like yeah right again interesting because it didn't that that joker type statue mm felt like a a foreground <laughs> a foreground detail to compare this to the original exorcist for a second mm. um as if we've not been doing that mm. for 40 minutes the scares in the original exorcist what i found so brilliant about them was that, that you know they're showing you everything with a you know, fixed camera if the bed is going to start rocking the bed's going to start rocking mm. and you know obviously it's it's on ropes or or, or like a platform or something but it's there it's happening right there's no there's no soundtrack no sting trying to tell you how to feel it's just there whilst everybody's trying to deal with that on screen and i found that really affecting and and the difference is with this film you've got you've got the same fixed camera mm. letting you see everything but if it's the woman who sh- who is creepily crawling along the ceiling yeah. behind george c scott that was sped up if it's the the statue coming to life, it's just the the hugest horror sting. And when it's when it's a sting there for him, really? No, yeah. I I really remember when the statue's following the nurse. Oh yeah, that yeah. It wasn't a statue; it was yeah. a guy with a sheet in a with a sheet over them. Oh sorry, yeah. sorry, 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 sorry. Yeah, the, I saw the headless statue earlier, and I yeah, they, they cut immediately the to the headless statue straight after in yeah. order to make a sort of oh, okay. visual connection. Okay, well. That huge horror thing for that, yeah, and, sure. and most of the jump scares in this then are just have the same thing. And because, and I was lauding uh, sincerity in was it Batman Forever? I think I love sincerity, but I hate the job sometimes of a sting or a musical piece mm. trying to tell me what I should be feeling. Right. Uh, so when this is telling, giving you something scary, and the images themselves are pretty scary, mm. it had these these things that were just not let up. And I just craving the silence of the Exorcist. I don't remember too many stings, aside from the big one with the the you know guy with the, yeah. the things, which is a big jump scare moment. It's the moment they've sort of been building up to. Aside from that, mostly yeah. the soundtrack I found was kind of a slow, menacing rumble that was going on. But you're right, there is more yeah. quiet stuff in um, the Exorcist. It's definitely the Exorcist is definitely a better film, and this film suffers for its connection to it. Yeah, but as its own thing, I do find that it is quite a unique sort of um, horror experience. One that lends itself to startling imagery, um, performances mm. most certainly, and yeah, dialogue. And so I don't know. In that in that respect, it's a fairly subdued kind of um, horror thing. So I, I will give it credit and say that it is unique and it is striving. It's striving for something unique, and yeah. there are things there that really work. I mean, in particular, 1990, the horror movie genre was very much moving away from films like this, you know, movies that do have this mm. kind of slower pace, um, it tests the audience's mm. patience a little bit more with its frightening mm. concepts, and are more sort mm. of interested in, you know, interrogating its characters and their their own personal fears. The, the style yeah. had very much by the you know the 1980s and then into the 90s moved on to slasher movies and you know more vulgar mm. fare which you know I don't particularly have a problem with but it's still nice to have this yeah to have this yeah it was just being being shut off emotionally as, as I said it meant that the slow pace I found 
un- unengaging. Oh, that's a shame. And and then the horror thing is kind of forced in. So it's, yeah, it's a bit of a shame. You did suggest, you know, when we were leading up to watching this, mm. you said maybe I should rewatch The Exorcist. Mm. Uh, and and but you were worried that you know you were setting this up to fail. Mm. And you know maybe maybe that is the case. I watched The Exorcist mm. one day and then the very next day watched The Exorcist three. Yeah, I'm I'm coming in and perhaps I didn't want a crime movie. I didn't. I, I I didn't want a demonic mm. crime thriller um, with with sort of satanic overtones. Yeah, I, I, I wanted definitely what this is. Yeah, yeah. And, and fair play for trying to to make a sequel that was different to the mm. original because you don't want to retread. Yeah. Um, so maybe this is one of those cases of aiming aiming high and missing, but you've got to respect the the aims, the the goals. I still I, I still think it's a really entertaining film to watch, and I would encourage listeners mm. to check it out because. I still think it's offering something that's very different and which was overlooked, you know, in its time. And I think if people do watch it with the right set of expectations, they will get a lot out of it. But it is a shame. I, mm. I wanted to encourage you to watch The Exorcist because I happen to just really love it. And it can be tricky to sort of get you to watch very good stuff, you know, that's not tied to the podcast. So I saw a sort of opportunity there to um, I, what I should have done is wait <laughs> until we inevitably review Exorcist 2. And then encouraged you to watch it as part of that. Because for a lot of people, I think the idea was Exodus 1, brilliant. Exodus 2, terrible. One of the worst movies ever made. Exodus 3 sort of returned to form. So I think that mm. kind of perspective. But then I haven't seen Exodus 2. So yeah, it's, it's, a yeah lesser, right. it's a lesser being than the Exodus, which is up there in the pantheon of sort of greatest horror movies ever made. And it probably would have benefited from just being called Legion and having only superficial connections to the original Exorcist film, which was the original plan. Um, and we should briefly detail that. The original mm. plan was to make a movie called Legion. And yep. it's included... It, the, the footage that was cut was ultimately lost. The Scream Factory mm. and our video, therefore, have published a Blu-ray that contains a rough cut of the Legion cut involving VHS recordings of the dailies in order to try and stitch it mm. back together. So that's available. You can watch it. And there are some key differences. First of all, Jason Miller isn't in it. He's not in the movie. It's all Brad Dourif. Brad mm. Dourif is the guy in the cell. And it is implied, weirdly, it's a bit confusing. I'm not entirely sure who he's meant to be. It's implied that that is what Father Karras looks like. Like Brad Dourif is playing Father Karras, which is a bit odd. Because 15 years have passed. 20 years on, yeah. yeah. So yeah. he would look like Jason Miller does. So yeah. <laughs> that, I think, is an improvement. Otherwise, it's a bit weird. But he's still meant to have the soul of the Gemini Killer inside of him. It's just the Gemini Killer is somebody else. So yeah. Um, one advantage of that is that the original director's cut has no vo- uh, voice alteration on um, Brad Dourif. And I think some of the takes are also better. So when I have one so that's cocky, when I have one that's cocky, hold it I always hold so it up. See, it's... Body. So can see its body. It's a little extra I throw in for no it's added charge. extra I throw in for no added charge. I must admit it makes me chuckle every time. I must admit it makes me chuckle every time. But why Life should I have all the fun, fun I like to share? Life is fun. It's wonderful life. Wonderful life, in fact. For some. So that's, that's okay. a plus for Legion. Um, but... George C. Scott gets completely lost in the second half. The monologues are longer, and basically after George C. Scott Gosh. enters the cell, he basically ceases to exist until the climax. Um, and speaking of the climax, there's a very anticlimactic ending to Legion. Um, 
He goes, yes. he rescues his family exactly like in the film, and then he comes back to the cell. Father Ovoid, um, Nicole Williamson, <laughs> is not in the movie, yeah. so he just comes in and shoots him. And um, yes. that's it. That's the end. And yeah, it's anticlimactic. <laughs> I'm glad for Father Morning, Father Ovoid. Yeah. He was, yeah, I he am was welcome, and I, I found myself just w- wishing there was more of him as a counterpoint to George C. Scott. <laughs> a calmer counterpoint. A more f- spiritual man, and maybe a scene between them would have been nice, but yeah, yes. I think I like the fact that Brad Dourif is in it without having his voice altered. Everything else I think is probably better in the theatrical cut, including the ending. But I mean, we discussed before, yeah. actually, as early as The Devil Inside, that it's very difficult to end a horror movie. It's hard to know how to do it well. Yes. Um, and this is definitely an example of that, you know, the um, because there's not really a great, uh, I don't know, there's a, there's a good way to end this movie. It's much more cerebral than what either of the options they went with. I think in the book... Uh, the Gemini killer's father dies, and all mm. of his crimes were supposed to be inspired by his father. And so, the guy just dies. The spirit just leaves, and the guy's dead. Yeah. Um, which also feels anticlimactic. So I don't know what the solution yeah. is to the end of Exodus Three. It's a bit of a Snake Eyes situation, but nevertheless, I think yeah. of the versions we have, I think probably the theatrical cut is the one to go with. But it's worth watching. I'd say so. The Legion cut just to. To see a bit more Duraf, to see some of those alternate takes, and it's an interesting curio. Well, with that said and done, yeah. is it time that we quick fire? Yeah, let's quick fire. Talk some good things. Yeah. Cool. Quick fire. I like the opening. The opening of the movie in the original is mm. black in Legion, it's black and white footage of the staircase, then a street, then the church, also in black and white, and then the door blasts open blasts open and <laughs> yeah. you know the mist comes in. <laughs> version i think we start with the boat guys is that right or yeah there's the the rowing team and yeah and then father dyer going and exploring and then we get the church and the door blast and jesus statue opening its eyes which i know there's a thin line between being ridiculous and being scary but that always freaked me out i have a thing with statues i don't like the implication (laughs) that they're alive and that that jesus opening its eyes just yeah i don't like it it upsets me yeah the weeping angels doctor who is the scariest Mm. of uh it's the best of all Doctor Who's, I think. I always found it's, those it's... statues a bit over the top. I find regular, normal you statues... those over the top! <laughs> regular statues. We see, we see the Jesus open his eyes in this. <laughs> it's a regular human-looking Jesus is the point. It's not a gargoyle. Gargoyles I'm fine with because they look like monsters. It's, re- it's replications of actual people I find creepy. That's just a thing I have. It's a uh, phobia. I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> the Weeping Angels, they're, they're, they're human-esque... human-esque until they get up close to people and then yeah. they, they turn. And then they get the big scary um, face. The, it's um the, the the beginning of the movie like the actual the first few minutes, as far as I remember, mm. which I really liked was the rowing and then Father Dyer and then yeah. um George C. Scott at his desk and yeah. then he looks at the picture of Karis and he says does he say Amen or he says something. Yeah, he says that. And then it's Oh yeah. Tubular bells. Amen. And that is great. I, I love movies <laughs> like any anything that does that. It has a quiet, yeah. and not very much happening. And then, doof, 
into the the titles. Yeah, Girl the Dragon Tattoo came to mind. Yeah, that's the other one. Yeah. That's really good. <laughs> oh fuck me, this is a okay. So yeah, I really like Ed Flanders as Father Dyer, and one of his early dialogue mm-hmm. scenes, he's talking to. I think it's meant to be a superior of his, and he's talking about what he's got mm-hmm. planned for the rest of the day, and uh, he talks about he's going to go see a, It's a Wonderful Life. Seen it thirty-seven times. That's commendable. You have a favorite picture? Fly. And just the <laughs> the weirdest voice you've ever heard in your fucking life. Yeah, I've yeah. always found that line really funny. That was really, really good. <laughs> it's, yeah, uh, there's, I really like there's that. some really snappy... You know, um, I think Blatty himself said, you know, when The Exorcist sold really well, that was a great career in comedy that died because, you know, he was a comedy writer beforehand. and He's written comedies oh. afterwards, actually. He wrote The Ninth Configuration, which is a kind of dark comedy about an uh, insane asylum. So, yeah, he's got some chops. Oh, cool. As we'll continue to see in my quick firing. So, yeah, the crime scene at the beginning, I, mm. I really liked the quick succession of cuts. Um, oh, yeah. It's just a just really interesting uh, way of depicting everything. It was, mm. you know, I, I can't remember the exact sequence, but it was mm. the corpse, cut, police, cut, yeah. reassuring the grieving oh, yeah, yeah. The parent. Mm. And it was just, yeah, the, the pace of that was That's good. quite captivating. Yeah. Um, I have a, uh, a collection of George C. Scott lines that I found funny entirely. I think all of these, all of these are in his conversations with Father Dyer. You wouldn't want to live forever. Yes, I would. No, you wouldn't. You'd get bored. I have hobbies. Yeah. <laughs> really like that. I agree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I agree, George C. Scott. Um, and I love the uh, the line of... Um, I thought you told me there's nothing really wrong with you. There isn't. My brother Eddie had these same stupid symptoms for years. Your brother Eddie died at the age of 30. So what? He got killed in Vietnam. There could have been some connection. Yeah. I like that. And yeah. then when he's, uh, Father Dyes is looking through a fashion magazine, he's like, shouldn't you be reading Canon or something? And he's like, you can't get the fashions. And um, George C. Scott says, this is true. Shouldn't you be reading from the Gospels or something? They don't give you all the fashions. Uh, this is true. Like, really quietly. <laughs> and my number one favorite moment between the two of them, it has to be the carp story. Um, which is just fucking extraordinary. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they have, they're, they've left the cinema and he has, it's a long clip, but I think I'm going to sample just the whole thing because George C. Scott's delivery and the writing of it, I really fucking mm. love. I think it's a really good comedic moment. My wife's mother is visiting father. And Tuesday night she's cooking as a carp. It's a tasty fish. I, I have nothing against it. But because it's supposedly filled with impurities... She buys it live. And for three days, it's been swimming up and down in my bathtub. Up and down. And I hate it. I can't stand the sight of it. Moving its gills. Now, you're standing very close to me, Father. Have you noticed? Yes. I haven't had a bath for three days. I can't go home until the carp is asleep. <laughs> because if I see it swimming, I'll kill it. Yeah, I, I think that's when his performance gets the most out of those lines. <laughs> um, that, that, was, that was particularly good. Yeah. yeah, some of the other ones you mentioned, I, I, as I was watching it, I could appreciate mm. how great the lines were. Mm. But I, I was I was already getting fatigued. Oh, I just so. <laughs> I really like their friendship. I think I just like the idea of this, yeah. you know, old Jewish cop and Catholic priest having a friendship, a kind of world weary, humorous friendship. I really bought yeah. into that. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, 
I appreciate that both of them, Dyer and Kinderman, told other people that they were cheering yeah, the, other the other one up yeah. by taking them to the cinema. Yeah. Just just something a bit um, silly and macho about it. Yeah, and just sort of old couple as well, the idea that this is something they do yeah. every year. It's something I like. Because yes. in the original cut of The Exorcist, the movie ended with a Casablanca line, which, to be honest, is good that they cut, but uh, Kinderman yeah. comes and meets with Father Dias, and they have the exact same conversation from earlier in the movie that he had with Father Karras, um, where okay. he's like, uh, what's showing? And he, he describes this movie, and then he says, I've seen it. You know, that that interaction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll go for the confessional death scene. So this is okay. the murder of the priest. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just, you don't see the old woman in her thing. You just hear her brilliant voice, which is not Mercedes uh, McCambridge, or whatever her name is, who did the devil voice from the first one, but sounds remarkably mm. similar. Only little things. Nothing. Seventeen of them, Father. The first was that waitress, huh? Near Candlestick Park, I cut her throat and watched her bleed. She bled a great deal. It's a problem that I'm working on, Father. All this bleeding. <laughs> and it's just a really menacing voice, and we keep zooming into this black void whilst... The priest is gradually realizing there's someone dangerous on the other side. And mm. yeah, I really like that. And the final line of, you know, it's a problem I have, all this bleeding. Yeah, that, that was that was cool. That was creepy. I like the long haired wheelchair dude in the hospital. Oh, fuck who, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, I, think, I think we first see him in a kind of a close up mm. of his crazy face. And then he uh, wheels himself up to a nurse who's yeah. dealing with medications. And from behind, we see him just matter-of-factly open his dressing gown, exposing himself yeah. to it. And the nurse really um, smoothly just looks away and puts her head in her hand as if this happens all the fucking time. Y- yeah, that was perfect. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just very funny and really smoothly done, really well executed. Yeah. Yeah, that was really good. That was dynamic. Um, I like the Fabio dream. <laughs> it's um, it's weird. It's surreal. It's just a, a very bizarre, slightly funny, but also kind of disturbing moment of... um him having yeah. this dream of what the afterlife would be like and not being able to come up with anything better than it being like Grand Central Station with terminals <laughs> announcing where everybody's going and, yeah. you know, weird celebrities just occupying all of these different angel positions. And uh, I guess it makes sense for someone who's movie obsessed to have populated his own, you know, interior dream world with um, yeah. celebrities. But yeah, and just going up to the kid who's dead, who's got these horrible stitches all around his neck where his head's been, like, sewn back yeah. on. And he's just like, oh, Billy, I'm so sorry you were murdered. I miss you. Yeah. You know, just... <laughs> I, I d- did like that line. Yeah, just little things. Um, and then, yeah, it was a surreal moment. And then it ends with this quick succession of, like, cuts of the clock going really fast and the old lady band mm. playing. And, yeah, it's a surreal yeah. stretch of the film. I appreciate that. When George C. Scott is checking father dies body under the mm. cover under the sheet yeah he, you know he's he's doing his job and trying to uh, ascertain whether he's missing a finger mm. but he's also pro- trying to process the news of his friend's death yeah and, and and doing the two at the same time makes for a really interesting performance from george c mm. scott yeah and i really liked him trying his best to remain professional yeah um and just letting out these kinds of you know some sometimes when somebody cries on film or 
emotes on film and you think, oh, fucking hell, that was rubbish. Yeah. Oh, wait, no, no. It just felt really awkward because of how natural it is. Yeah. Um, it, it was one of those thought processes for me. <laughs> I have um, two moments coming off of that. Um, the first is I okay. like I like um, the line. What are they? What's in them? Father Dyer's entire blood supply. You know, in this really mm. grave tone, because what a thing to do, you know, to have there. Just yeah. menacingly sitting in yeah. jars next to him. Um, and yeah, following that, when he's in the room with uh, P- Principal Flutie from the Buffy the Vampire Slayer season one, uh, until he gets eaten by Great. hyenas. Um, oh. He is there being really loud, really noisy, and he's he's angry with everyone. And George C. Scott's trying to talk about the Gemini killer. And Flutie interrupts just once too often and elicits an outburst from Scott, who then just kind of, yeah, really slightly kind of starts crying. Go ahead, Lieutenant. Temple, why are you encouraging this? Shut your mouth! After he's done mm. his outburst, because, you know, he's yeah. barely barely able to process all of this um i liked the old lady suffering from dementia yeah. with the invisible radio slash telephone yeah. well, george c scott is trying to ask her questions and he decides to play along with her asking if he's here to fix the the radio yeah and um he's like yeah yeah that's that's me i'm here to fix the radio and she goes oh, can you tell me what's wrong with it and she the camera cuts you know yeah she hands nothing back to and him. she's just holding up it yeah an invisible yeah it's it's nothing yeah nothing it's right here do you see it yes i see it i just knew you weren't really a radio repairman that's a telephone i'm holding (laughs) (laughs) which is a which is a cool exchange in itself but that lady in particular was really good she was really good she had an excellent name which i did note down and then didn't translate into my text notes but yeah it was really good and um yeah, her following line of, um, it's all right. Not many people would know the difference. It's all right. Yeah. yeah, that was a really good, really good moment. We're going like line for line here because that's like, <laughs> well, last few, we're clearly going through the film at a similar pace. Um, I do run out before you, I, I imagine. <laughs> uh, the tool that's being used to cut people's fucking heads off is really menacing. Mm. This big silver set of like hedge trimmers. Um, that's ostensibly mm. used to um, cut open rib cages, but it's an entirely an invention, and it's very similar to the sort of uh, gynecology tools that they invent in um, Dead Ringers. So it's a, it's got a Cronenberg mm-hmm. design to it that I think is very um, yeah very interesting. Cronenbergian. Cronenbergian. Look, I I liked it when Jason Miller turns up. I think it lent the mov- movie some authenticity and it tied it tying it just ever so slightly back to the original. Mm. Uh, really worked for me. Yeah, and I thought Jason um, Miller did a good job. He was apparently very drunk um, at this stage in his career. <sighs> the alcoholism was um, getting the better of him, but I thought he did a good job, and he's got a great yeah. voice. Yeah, he he really has. Remember, Karen? Little ribbons in her hair. Yellow ribbons. I killed her. I picked her up in Richmond. And then I dropped her off at the city dump. Some of her. Some of her I kept. I'm a saver. Just, just sometimes a presence on screen is enough to really swing it in your favour. And he was a linchpin there. Um, I'm going to go back to another spooky statue moment because it's interesting. What happens <laughs> is a tiny crucifix gets knocked off the wall. Uh, Nicole Williams, you know, is going to father ovoid. He's going to go check <laughs> it out. And mm. we get an extreme close up of the Jesus's face. 
and just a little tear of blood accumulates in the corner of its eye. And it's very obvious what they've done is they've actually built a massive one that we're now, you know, close to behind the scenes. But mm-hmm. it's like this just this idea we're super close up on this tiny object and something creepy is happening to it that mm. not many people would notice. Yeah, that creeped me out. Nice. You are better when you're creeped out. <laughs> you're way more productive. I am. It's why my boss is just standing behind me all the time. Bleeding from the eyes. <laughs> I actually appreciated augmenting Brad Dura's voice at times. Okay. Um, of all the things that were overworked mm. about um, his his scenes, mm. um, I appreciated switching in and out. And I it kind of tied in with the fact that he always had a tear coming out of yes. his eye, rolling down his cheek. Yeah. It suggested to me the fact that this was a body, you know, it's a body also possessed yeah. that has, that does not want it. And it's just trying to, it's just struggling to deal with. Yeah. The, the devil and everything else inside of it um yeah and yeah it, there's just just something about the the lack of agency mm. about the voice coming in and out and then occasionally getting his voice yeah and it sounding less intimidating by comparison um i i like the creepy detail of the fact that the doctor is rehearsing a speech the speech he's about to give to um, yes. the detective like we don't know why he's doing it yeah, it's really creepy that he's doing that. Later on, we find out it's because, you know, he's been manipulated to do it in some ill-defined way. But yeah, it, it's really, it's spooky that we're seeing the fact that this guy is manipulating uh, the investigation. And we don't know why. Yeah, definitely. I really liked Father Morning. Um, oh, right. When, when he yeah. turned up at the end to do an exorcisming. <laughs> yeah. I thought, oh, thank God, he, he's great. <laughs> and like like I said earlier, it, and, you know, kind of agreed, it, it was a good thing that, he was put in yeah I've... um for for the ending alone but just to have yeah a conversation or two with George, between the two of them yeah like with um kinderman and and, and Karis in the original yeah. or or Karis and max von Sydow. yeah <laughs> yeah whatever his name is farron or something mm. just just something where you're where you can see that the, the two sides coming together yeah um but he was great in his his exorcism scene where he's he's where he's silent and then he just starts sloshing brad durif with holy water yeah it's a really great quiet yeah menacing start to it and his his voice is as we've previously discussed really good so him delivering the you robber of life you author of pain you corrupter of justice and innocence and youth. You begetter of death. Yeah. He's very good at it. Um, I, as previously mentioned, I do enjoy... That would be in the file. It is not in the file! It is not! <laughs> That's just yeah. a really <laughs> kind of campy, you know, yeah. bit. But it, campy. It always... Stop yelling at me, George. <laughs> he yells at so many people. We're fine! The line of uh, the nurse... Yeah, she is saying that one time when Brad Dourif was um, particularly weak, he said something to him, uh, to her, and it was about the way that he said it. He said it, like, weaker. So in other words, you know, the original host came to the surface for a minute, and she says... Um, what else has he said in this voice? Only one other thing. And what was that, miss? He said, kill it. And then audio cuts first. Immediately after the line cuts, mm. uh, kill it, the audio drops out. Ambient noise drops out um, to the next scene. Mm. And then a little later in a, I think it's called a L cut, we cut to the image. And yeah, mm. it, it's really dramatic. 
it, it's it really puts the chills up me. I think right up here, right up there. Well, you don't want it. <laughs> I can see it, mate. <laughs> when they're then chasing the nurse, who's going to George C. Scott's house, um, George C. Scott sort of lumbers out of the police station and mm. goes, "Danny, get the car, roll it, roll it, move it, move it, go, go." It's it's very dynamic camera work, yeah, and so. everyone's people are moving, and yeah. the camera's moving with it. It was it was good. It it brought me out of, uh, <laughs> yeah, a mini stupor. Yeah. Now this gag, and I'm sure it's an intentional gag, um, is not in the Legion cut, but is in the director's cut. So either Blassie planned it, but then decided on his director's cut that it's a a gag he didn't want to include, perhaps because it was very time specific. Or okay. it was a gag that the editors kind of imposed um, by realizing they had the elements to do so. Um, Kinnaman is asking Brad Dourif, how do you get around? And he says, like, old friends. And he says, how do you get out of this cell? Hmm. And he says, it's child's play. And we cut to a kid uh. with long red hair and freckles who looks like Chucky. Uh, yeah. And the first Chucky movie is called Child's Play. And Brad Dourif is the voice of yeah. Chucky. So I'm sure that's an intentional gag. It can't be coincidence. Um, but yeah, it's... W- that would have to be the craziest coincidence. <laughs> yeah, it would be weird. So I'm pretty sure it's a purposeful gag. And it's, yeah, it's a little cheeky moment, I thought. Blink and you'll miss it. Yeah, fun. I like cheeky. Yeah. All right. I like the cheeky girls. Um, Hey, we're the cheeky girls, everyone. <laughs> Joel Kinnaman. Joel Kinnaman? Yeah, that was, that was the <laughs> Joel Kinnaman, yeah. That um, George House Scott of Cards. <laughs> Joel Kinnaman from Altered Carbon. He 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 used Altered Alter Carbon, became Kinderman. <laughs> Kinderman. Sci-fi's great. So deep. <laughs> wow, the things you could do. Um, Put a D in my name. Yeah. <laughs> Put a D in you, love. Like Ian you what? Banks or something. <laughs> Get out of here. Awful man. Joel I mean, Kinnaman. A dependable life partner. <laughs> Put it in you. That's <laughs> <laughs> what that Red Hot Chili Pepper song's about. So when the <laughs> when George C. Scott gets to he gets home and there's a like music is swelling and he's got a gun and he's knock he's knocking on the door yeah. and then um and why would he have to knock on the door when he lives there anyway um, no time to go fishing around for keys he's got deep pockets no time for keys he's got to knock on his door and wait for his daughter to come and open it and when she does the the music cuts out and she just goes oh hi dad and then comes yeah. back goes back into the house yeah. <laughs> um which is it which is a really great subversion yeah that was fun okay yeah i like the gross death of nicole williamson father ovoid yes. um it's really well rendered he gets stuck to the ceiling and he pulls himself away and his skin like peels off as he pulls and yeah, yeah it was freaky and it was well done and his body afterwards yeah. looks horrible i agree that was my last good thing actually <laughs> it was fan- fantastic effects all right let me so. quickly finish off then I like the woman on the ceiling, goddammit. It's um, it's spooky. I know she's sped up, but that's part of it. She's moving unnaturally quickly up there, and it just... Uh, it freaks me out. It, it was like a really... I don't know, I just imagine it on my ceiling, and it just creeps me out to see. And finally, yeah, that that is one of the best jump scares, I think. the Because it's the nurse, it's in one shot. She goes to investigate a noise. It's really drawn out. Um, there's a fake out jump scare where the guy like yells at her, which actually some people have told me that they found more surprising than the actual jump scare. But um, that's startling. And then she goes back outside, and we think, okay, we've had that, and we are now in circumstances which are safer than the one we were just in because a couple of guys mm. show up, a couple of cops, and they're sort of about, and you think, oh, well, nothing's gonna happen while someone else is around. And I think it's even now better lit than it was, but. Mm. She hears a scratching sound coming from a weirdly lit door. So she goes to open it, and seems fine. 
she closes it, then she notices something, and a police officer comes back into the shot and mm. leaves just in time for her to open the door again, turn off the light, so she there couldn't be anything in there or she'd have just seen it, closes the door, mm. turns to walk away, door is open before she's finished turning, and the figure is immediately behind her. And it just... Yeah, it's really what it's really good. I love it. It's really well constructed. It was a spooky moment, and it does that thing where you see the figure with the sheet covering it, with the blades mm. up at neck level, and it doesn't give you enough time to process it. You see it, and you think, "Whoa, mm. what the fuck? What is that?" And it's already moved on to the shot of the statue of a head before you've had a chance to say, "Oh, okay, it's just a person with a sheet over them." And by startling yeah, right. you and then moving away quickly, you can really freak people out. And it did, me. Yeah, right. <laughs> you made it way creepier. <laughs> it's a spooky moment. Um, I need you narrating everything that I watch, including <laughs> what I'm seeing out the window right now. Oh, God, it's that lemon thief and the Kookaburra no, Council. Nothing. It's all very frightening. Um, okay, the last thing, then, the thing that we've been holding off on talking about is Brad fucking Durf. But the main thing is the torment of your friend, Father Karras, as he watches while I rip and cut and mutilate the innocent, his friends, and again, and again, and on and on. He is inside with us. He will never get away. His pain won't end. Yeah. Brad goddamn Duraf, who's... Yeah, playing the Gemini killer, killer, he's really yeah. intense throughout the whole thing. He gives yes. a very menacing performance that's also full of kind of like a, a I, I guess a pathos, because he has, has such tender eyes, you know, which like you say are mm. always crying, but he's also just got this soft look, but also this maniacal creepiness that he achieves as well. And Yeah, he's just, he's just really good. Yeah, like his monologuing, it, it, it's... The performance itself is great, and whilst you know earlier I took issue with the way it was framed and, and shot, the, like the actual scenes themselves were great, and they had something of a spectacle about them. Because rather than keep, rather than show you this in the context of the the room yeah. and the environment, it's everything is focused on him. Yeah. And it probably should be as the devil inhabiting a body. Yeah. Um, and there was a claustrophobic feel to that. Absolutely. Um, where you, you just cannot. You cannot escape from him looking you dead in the eye and and and, t- and telling you all of this bragging about everything he's done. Yeah, it's really horrifying. Um, mm, <laughs> yeah, it's very, very good. <laughs> good stuff. And that is yeah. us quick firing. But what about the OGT? Yeah. Well, I should ask you about that, Paul, seeing oh, the roles no! are reversed. But I did just check and we don't have anything from the OGT. Okay, great. So. Well, that makes my role somewhat easier. <laughs> Thanks, OGT. Thanks, OG. Oh fuck! I was trying to remember tubular bells. OGT, Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Okay. Do you want to do a one better thing? I don't have one because it's this. Yeah, because you really liked it. I I would say that if you haven't seen The Exorcist, oh, that's a yeah. really good. You should definitely definitely watch that. Yeah. Uh, it's a classic for a reason. Yeah, my um, second favorite horror film behind The Shining, I think, is The Exorcist. It's perfect. Well, there you go. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> and it's Mark Kermo's favourite film, so you heard it there second. He's only been saying that the last couple of weeks. Yeah, like he after speaking to you, actually. Yeah, he, I, I, told, I, I said, you should watch this, Mark. I think you'd like it. It's like, oh my 
god oh my god i've spent so much of my life not watching the exorcist <laughs> or talking about the exorcist yeah <laughs> with anyone definitely <laughs> on record definitely never <laughs> so yeah d- definitely watch that yeah and watch this watch this i think it's really good <laughs> okay that's great <laughs> okay paul moving so, on paul thanks so much for sharing this with me and the exorcist Yay. how can how can the people at home find out more about the the bleeding Jesus's readily openable eyes that we just keep lying around for fun. Yeah, we've got to look into that, mate. Um, look, <laughs> all you have to do is you make a pact with the devil and then arrange oh, yeah. for your own death in the electric chair. And then as a, a holy figure is ending his battle, his climactic fight with um, the ultimate evil, uh, the devil will just kind of slip you into their body as they're dying. And once mm. that's happened, you just type OG team into anything at all. <laughs> Uh, I think, yeah, that bitch um, who has one good thing, Jilly or whatever her name is, the gardening <laughs> bastard, um, she hasn't taken OGT Pod. So Google OGT Pod. You'll get us on Spotify, Podbean, all sorts. And whilst you're at it, you can yeah. check out the um, links in the description here in order to find out more about uh, Patreon, which we're doing. And we're, you know, doing exciting things with, which is put a Let's Play up of Totally Accurate Battle Simulator, which is a lot of fun. We have indeed. And um, oh, what was the last thing? Turned out very well. What was the last thing before that we put up? It was um, you put up something. Sexy like, personality. That's quiz. it. Yes, the sexy personality quiz. So be sure to uh, sign up so you can hear what kind of sex we both are. And <laughs> yeah, good was the answer. And I recently, for Screen Mayhem, interviewed uh, the really interesting and very talented Teresa Decker. We talk about her short horror film, which is um, out on Vimeo at the moment. So if you want to see someone talk about sort of creepy horror and how it pertains to the modern situation because she accidentally made a pandemic movie just before the actual pandemic um Oops. whoops but yeah she may have caused it so yeah go check that out on screen mayhem do you cover that do you take her to task of potentially starting this pandemic <laughs> i really do i'm like fucking jeremy clarkson clarkson i went paxman but you know i'm like jeremy clarkson <laughs> no, was... really gross and horrible and nobody should ever i was gonna make a sky jobs. news joke so <laughs> you know it's all it all works out in the end I'm Paul Paxman. But you're not allowed to say that, Paul. That's my turn. <laughs> Shit. I'm Paul Paxman. I'm Paul Clarkson. Nice. Yeah. And remember, the one good thing about the Exorcist 3 colon Legion. It's Brad Dourif, isn't it? Brad Dourif and George C. Scott yelling at nurses. It's my thing. Everywhere I find pronounces it Losser. So... His losser. Maybe he's Welsh. Crosser, <laughs> yeah. Louis Crosser. Louis Crosser. I can't believe my terrible, my terrible pun went unacknowledged. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We'll pick that up on the. Uh... Yes, <laughs> yes, you will. That you end. will. I'm very happy. I promise. <laughs> I want it to be slowed down and increasing the <laughs> The crux, okay? There's a scholarship that is only available. We're making it. The Batman. Yeah, that's really obvious. I am a clock. What's the answer? <laughs> this is an edit-heavy first five minutes of an episode. I don't like the way this is going. The last video. People have their fucking face. It's a clock. 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 Well done, Master Wayne. You're brighter than you look. Clock. 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 
Crux, okay? There's a scholarship that is only available for black people, and so our main character takes some experimental tanning pills that turn his skin black yeah. so that he can take advantage of a memorial fund intended to get underprivileged black students into what is to this day an immensely socioeconomically and fairly racially exclusive prestige university. Let the laughs begin! Oh. But I do, at this stage, when the explosion happens and the rubber snakes all over the uh, right. boat and John Floyd just seems to love it, <laughs> I, the, the amazing possibility occurs to me, because I can't remember this film very well, that John Floyd is on the snake's side, <laughs> and I get very excited about that, because if there was a human snake war, I might try and turn coat for the snakes. That seems like a good idea to me. I think the snakes would love that as well. Yeah. The snakes go, they're really down for that kind of double D. And uh, everyone would like to welcome Barry to the team. Hi, guys. <laughs> How are you at crushing bones? Uh, crushing mice, mouse bones with your body. Uh, good. <laughs> Pretty good. I'm willing to uh, give it a crack. I'm a quick learner. Let's say that. Yeah, <laughs> quick learner. Just show me how you do it, guys. I've adapted to multiple systems throughout my career. <laughs> That's true. In the box. We didn't hear about this until we went hunting for Faye Dunaway recently. Can't just rely on that. Bank for the SEO on that alone is enough to carry it. <laughs> <laughs> Every day, thousands of people Google what is Faye Dunaway doing right now, and many of them found out about this as a result. All of whom have restraining orders against her, and are googling that purely out of fear. They <laughs> just want to know if she's in the area. Yeah. If, yeah. Can, if it's safe to go out. Faye Dunaway latest <laughs> movements, latest last known location. It's an app in Google. Google offers that service. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she signed up to it. She knows. She knows she's a monster. She likes the challenge. <laughs> I'll still get him, she says. I'll still get him. You are not thinking of the good fuckery that even a title such as Come and Hear My Ass might invoke. Further, erotic gratification can be great gained from the realization that Bucky is jerking his good meat to the footage of his own parents fucking. Racing home. It is reasonable to now expect that he shall fuck his parents. As we have all done, as we've all wished to do. <laughs> That's a great production logo. Yeah, I think it really is. Yeah. Anyone that uses their own initials and sets up their own production company is always a market policy. PS Productions. That's not great. <laughs> yeah, because they call it Piss Productions. <laughs> it's a salt Piss picture. Productions. Salt, salty screens. <laughs> oh, Jesus. That's the worst name <laughs> I've ever heard. Salty. Salty Screens. <laughs> oh yeah, she was in a bunch of salty films. She was a salty screen siren. <laughs> Eight dead out, you fired. <laughs> Every St. Jehubert's Day, such is the customs of my country, Andrews. It is the same country. We speak only because of my recent accident. It's a very sexual accident. It's very important. Incredibly well for our podcast. Personally, I like to start on on restart day. It's, it's much more aligned with my my sexual ideologies, and I, I only end on Flagstaff Day, which I believe is what you were trying to say. Flagstaff Day is possibly the holiest of the kinky holidays in the calendar of our particular religion. And you remember the the songs that they sing before the the, the men get erect? Flagstaff Day. Flag is bought day. Bring the oh. children out. And you know the rest. <laughs> <laughs>